Good morning, Gallery. Um, my name is Kevin, uh, and I'm going to be bringing you the Old Testament reading from Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 8. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord of your God directed me to teach you, to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after that, after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel. The Lord your God, the Lord, is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them with your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. This is the reading of God's word. Good morning, I'm Lauren. Today's New Testament reading comes from Mark 12, 18 to 34. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no children. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the women died too. At that resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising. Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. When I was preparing for this message, I've been just thinking, uh, how do you talk about the greatest commandment again? 
How many of you have heard me speak on the greatest commandment before? All right, yeah. So when I was talking with Lauren on a walk, um, we, she was like, so how is it coming together? Like talking about the teaching. And I'm like, Lauren, I feel like I'm offering chocolate cake to people that have had chocolate cake. And it's like they know what to expect. They know what they're going to eat. Uh, and so I'm looking for a new ingredient, something that when they bite into it's like, oh, yes, that just came alive. And so if you know me, I love chocolate cake and I will take it any time. Um, but uh, there's one place that you go to and they they seasonally offer it. And they don't offer it all the time. And I've realized that that's a marketing strategy. Like, why, if it's something's really good, why not offer it all the time? But if you give something, this, people the same thing all the time, then it's not as special as when you bring it out. And so this particular restaurant only offers their, what they call, Coca-Cola chocolate cake. And so their sweetening ingredient somehow is now using Coca-Cola as the basis for the cake. And let me just tell you, when they do it right, it's moist and it's excellent. Um, but I don't necessarily feel like that my job today is to, quote, entertain you with the greatest commandment. But I do feel like that there is something new and sweet about it if we allow ourselves to get fully present in it. Because we're talking about this series of being devoted. And we've started leading up to this just about our devotion to God and how the evil one wants to tell us lies so that we're not devoted to him. Like that's really his goal. He he will he loves it when we sin. He loves it when we do our own thing, and he loves it when we harm one another. But but his ultimate goal is that he is not the one that gets our love and our devotion. And so now we're looking at Jesus leading up to Easter, to the cross, to the resurrection Sunday, and our desire has been: What was Jesus so intentional about communicating before he died? He was devoted to his disciples. He wanted them to be ready for a life after the resurrection. And so it's obvious to me that the last few teachings and the things that he's doing was highly intentional because he wanted to drive some things home. Because just like we're supposed to be devoted to him, as we read during the opening, Philippians 2, Jesus fully devoted himself to us. And so his devotion to us is the mirror or the example for which our devotion should be to him. And so he's now in this final week. He started the week out by doing what? Cursing a tree. Well, he actually came in like Palm Sunday, triumphal entry. Yes. Okay. But I was on the series where I picked up like, <laughs> who cares about the order in scripture? It's all about the way that I'm teaching. No. Um, so Palm Sunday, which is next Sunday, this triumphal entry. But the first day he went into the temple on the way in, he cursed a tree. During the day, he turned over tables, but he did it in such a way that the people wanted to listen to him at the end of the day. So apparently he was incredibly loving and gracious to people because they were in some way still interested in what he had to say, even though. And I talked about it as a as a one act play. Jesus was showing Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled that he had the authority to shut the temple down. And the only person that had the authority to shut the temple down was the king of Israel at that point in their in their scriptures and in their understanding. And so that whole first day was him declaring, I am your true king. I've proven it through everything that I've done. 
In the cursing of the fig tree on the way in, seeing the fig tree withered, obviously was a symbol of his kingship, his authority. The fig tree obviously symbolizing the temple and the, 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 the command that he had given the nation of Israel to be his chosen people in the world. All of that was coming to an end. And so everything that we've been talking about um, can kind of be summarized in this up to this point is the prayer that we ended with last week. God, grant us wisdom to see to the heart of things. I want, you, I want to pause on that. Grant us the wisdom to see to the heart of things. Not just to see, but we need to see the motivation behind things. So we need to see the motivation behind what Jesus is doing. We need to see the motivation behind what we're doing. We need to see the motivation behind the choices that we're making and all of this. It's in every aspect of our life, heart, mind, soul, strength. We have to get to the point where we're able to see the heart of things and to give us ourselves wholly to our true God and King. This has been what Jesus has been doing now for several days leading up to his final act, which was the resurrection. So in this passage, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the fact that the Sadducees had a theological issue. I do want you to understand that they had theological issues in their century, just like we have in our century. Some of us have been talking about hell recently, and there's been so many ways in which people have different beliefs and, and systems on hell. There's many of you, I've heard from our growth community leaders, where people are dropping words like predestination and Calvinism and all these other words. And I'm like, I'm so glad I wasn't at your growth community. <laughs> but here's the, so, so much of, of ours is a theological debate. Like how much of these big words or these theological understandings do we really need to wrestle in? And we find here in Jesus's last week that he deals with a theological issue. The Sadducees were nicknamed sad you see. That's their nickname. That's how they were viewed. Their denomination was the sad Jewish denomination. Like they would, they were always looking sad. That was part of their theological posture. And it wasn't just because they felt the weight of their sin. They had no hope after life. They had no belief in a resurrection. They had no idea what was coming next. So they just believed it just ended. How sad is that? But that's where their posture was. And so Jesus deals with it. But I want to bring us back to what's been happening all week. Because the Herodians and the Pharisees have been over here talking. How do we get the crowd to turn on Jesus or how do we get the Romans to turn on Jesus? So they're plotting. They're coming up with questions to come and stump or trick Jesus. So the Sadducees, while those denominations were doing their best, they're over there saying, what kind of scenario can we pose to him that's going to make him look bad in front of everybody? Okay, let's come up with a story about seven brothers that married the same woman and none of them had children. That's a great idea. So Jesus, like this is what they were doing off in the corner of the temple, thinking of something that made sense to them that could stump Jesus publicly. But then you find in this story that another religious leader, a lawgiver, had been observing how Jesus was interacting. And I would say he probably had a sane enough mind to say, look at those idiots, look at those idiots, and look how Jesus handles idiots. And so he steps up to Jesus like, 
I really want to know. This next story to me is very non-confrontational. I don't believe this particular one was this um, lawgiver, this person of great intellect was coming up to Jesus to make Jesus look foolish. I think this is the first time somebody's stepping up to Jesus and are saying, I really want to know what you have to think. I, I am so moved by what you're saying and what you've been doing. I've just been waiting for the opportunity to come up and just say, okay, could you just clear up one thing for me? I might be wrong. This guy may have just been like everybody else, but I don't read into it the sarcasm and the intent in this particular passage that you find in other places. But Jesus's first point to the Sadducees was to affirm in them that what they're experiencing in this present reality isn't going to be what we experience for all of eternity. And I want you guys to understand this because What we're experiencing is death. There's so many ways in which death is winning. It's killing relationships. It literally causes the physical body to decay and to die. It's just evil against us. It's an enemy against us. And so these Sadducees were sad because they really didn't know what to do about the human condition And Jesus is beginning to step in and he's saying to them, I want you to know that there is something that's coming and it's going to be really good. And the second thing that I think Jesus does here by going back to some of their 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 champion leaders by name dropping like Jesus was really good at times of knowing when to mention Moses, when to mention Abraham and when to bring up a popular name to them and help bring to life things that they had been reading, but they were misunderstanding or things that they had been reading and they were totally missing. But here Jesus says to them, I want want to bring up to you Moses in this burning bush because he's introducing Abraham as Abraham's God, as Isaac, as Isaac's God, as Jacob, as Jacob's God. And what he's saying to these Sadducees is that Moses and Isaac and Jacob still exist, but they're dead. And so he's going to scriptures that they're quoting about the life-giving scriptures that they have. And they're missing the fact that Jesus and others have continually talked about their forefathers and these patriarchs, these powerful individuals that God spoke to. There's something about them that even the scriptures talk about. That means that there's something about their existence, even though they're in what a Jew would have thought is Shoel, which is the dirt, the ground. That's their place of rest. But there's this sense of um, that death hasn't been forever over them. And Jesus is bringing that up to them. And Jesus is not simply saying to them that they're in some afterlife. He's saying that they're coming to a point where they too are going to be resurrected. And I think it's important for us to understand by him mentioning the angels He's only comparing us to the angels in the fact that in this context is that we're not going to procreate in the afterlife. I don't want us to think, well, Jesus said we're going to be like the angels and we're like, am I going to get wings? (laughs) Are we all going to shrink to the size of Tinkerbell? Like, and just, ooh, this is great. Or are we going to all be, you know, are we going to look like we've been upgraded? Like there's even commercials on TV now where you got some of our less 
masculine and feminine actors and actresses, but then the camera fades away and they come back and they've been upgraded and then they look like bodies that go to the gym every day. It's like we think about the after, like, are we going to get a physical upgrade? You know, like, am I going to actually turn heads for all of eternity? Like, no, like, that's not what, what Jesus is speaking to here. He's just saying, like the angels don't procreate, this issue of marriage and eternity is a null and void issue because that's not the purpose of eternity. So if we're reading more into it than that, I think we need to be careful that we're not adding to what Jesus is saying. We need to focus on what Jesus is talking about. And I believe that Jesus addresses this issue because he's about ready to experience resurrection himself. So there's an entire denomination that doesn't believe in resurrection and they're about ready to witness the first one. So he's going to have to address this issue so that they can understand what's really happening and how that then impacts the rest of them. And here is, I put this on a slide for us. If we could go ahead and go to it, we should regard death itself. The disillusion and decay of the physical body is nothing less than an enemy. So next time you, like there's a a family in our church that's been attending recently. They're at a funeral this weekend for a grandparent that passed. The enemy is death. They are going to confront an enemy this weekend in Philadelphia. The physical decay of the body is not God's will and plan for us. It's an enemy. And that is not what God wants. And so Jesus is a dealing with a theological issue that this group had because he's saying to them, you think death is final, but it's not. There's resurrection. There's new life. I'm coming to defeat the enemy so that there can be new life that others get to have. So believing in the resurrection doesn't just offer the best hope of all for for all for our ultimate future like believing in that isn't just that believing in the resurrection is actually giving presence and power to the purpose of God's created world that's what Romans 8 is all about the the earth is groaning i mentioned this to some of you recently like i'm really bothered that the koala bear is now going on an endangered species list like what the heck Now, yes, I know Australia just uh, had this massive wildfires that devastated tens of thousands of animals, let alone koala bears. But I'm sitting here thinking is the earth is groaning. There are precious animals that are becoming extinct or have gone extinct that we are not doing a great job of caring for. And just as much as we're passionate about that, God cares about it. So his resurrection is not just going to be good for us. It's going to be good for all creation. So God is in the process through Jesus. And this is what Jesus is dealing with on the temple grounds his last week. He's looking at people and saying to him, as the true king, as the true Lord, what I'm getting ready to do is establish a new kingdom on earth because this was all made good. I'm going to make it good again. I am going to reclaim it. I am retaking it and I'm going to be its rightful ruler. And he's saying what God has made, he is now going to remake. 
So it might seem like this was just a simple story about the Sadducees coming up and saying, okay, a man married and he married his brother, married a brother, married a brother. And then this idea of the great commandment steps in and we step into all of this and we just are like, we're so distracted by what the, the words on the page that we're missing the fact that in that moment, Jesus was declaring over everybody listening that I am the true king and I am taking the kingdom back. And I am going to now start to tell you what that kingdom is going to be like because you can be invited into it right now. We have discovered what I believe are where our priorities lie. This is what the whole transition from the resurrection life to the story of the greatest commandment is where our priorities lie. So imagine just for a minute. You arrive home just in time to walk in to realize that your house is on fire. You know your priorities by what you grab to make sure that you get it out of the house before your house is consumed. So do you run for a particular family photo? Do you run and quickly try to carry out the safe that's hidden in your room somewhere that has your passports in it and other important family documents? Do you run to that to get those things out? Like when your stuff is being consumed, you start to quickly evaluate what's most important for me to get in here and get out. Some of you would immediately run to a child's room and you would make sure that your child is removed from the home as quickly as possible. Others of you, it might be a handwritten letter from a parent that's no longer living and you don't want to lose that. And so you run for that and even putting yourself in danger in order to get to it before the fire does. I want you to think about that because that's really what this man is asking Jesus. He's asking Jesus, if, if, if everything is on fire, what is the most important thing for me to grab? That's, it's not just an intellectual question. It's not just a question about, well, if, if all 700 plus laws for some reason were being taken away, what would be the one thing that I should grab a hold of? No, Jesus is saying the question that the lawyer is asking is like, is if everything is on fire, what do I grab first? So faced with this whole volume of laws, I think it's important for us to consider a couple of things. How we construct a code of personal ethics is not what this passage is about. This passage is not just about a code of ethics that we take. The Jewish law was about more about who was the object of our love and our worship. They had set up systems called a Shema. It was like this daily prayer rhythm. It's what Kevin read to us, where they would quote that as the equivalent of our Lord's Prayer in Christianity, the Our Father who art in heaven. Like as Christians quote this, the verses Kevin read were the verses that they would pray. And it was the same posture. They didn't want it to be half of their life. They wanted it to be all in. That's why it talks about heart. It talks about soul. It talks about mind. It talks about strength and whatever we do, we're to do it for him. That was the posture to a Jewish person. And it's the posture behind the Lord's prayer. Jesus seems to think that through his kingdom work and everything he's leading these people to that this commandment is now in reach for them. I want you guys to hear me when I say this. He believed that 
this was in a place where they now could love God with all their heart and with all their mind, with all their strength. And they could in turn love their neighbor as they love themselves. But did you pick up on this? The lawyer didn't ask him, what are the top two? The lawyer asked, what's the most important one? And Jesus offered the second at his own discretion. And I want to just say to us, that's really important to notice. Because he was saying to them that, yes, you've got to get this one. But let me just say equal to it. So there's really two number ones here. And that was the part that I think this man was so blown away with that God would or Jesus would then say to him, you are really close to the kingdom of God. Because this man was able to understand what Jesus did by tying in our love for God and our love for one another's. And I believe Jesus was doing this in such a way, which you can read more in the story of the way Luke told it in Luke chapter 10. But when you start looking at this, I believe that Jesus was saying to them, and I want you to hear me. I can tell that some of us might already have been zoning out a little bit. So just hear me when I say this. I believe Jesus was telling them that the world could start getting better right now. I honestly feel like Jesus isn't just teaching at this moment. He's saying to them, if you really want things to be different, it can happen right now. If you do these two things. And that is love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul and all your strength. And you don't neglect yourself. But you love other people as you love yourself. Like this is important for him to have communicated. And this command from the Shema, this idea that God was the only God. We're going to talk more about that in our growth communities this week. I don't have time to get into all of that right now. But 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 this lawyer, this crisis that this lawyer is bringing to Jesus, I believe when the crisis comes to our life, how we respond really does show who's our God. And are we grabbing for God saying, I want to be obedient to you through my fire? Or are we turning to something else? And in the process of our trial, do we forget about our neighbors? Do we forget that I should still love them like I want to be loved Like right now, this is a rhetorical. Please do not respond out loud or wave at me, wink or make any other gesture towards me. But how many of you right now are just waiting for somebody to initiate a conversation with you? How many of you right now are just waiting for somebody to initiate love to you? How many of you are just waiting because there's something going on in your world? You just can't wait for somebody to reach out to you. And I just want to say, if you love other people the way that you love yourself, who are you supposed to be reaching out to? Who are you supposed to be telling you love? Who are you supposed to be seeking after as well? And some of you are like, but that's what I've been doing. And all I can say to you is just keep doing it. Follow Christ's example, who humbly gave himself fully. Like he wasn't part in, like there wasn't just a leg of Jesus walking around the earth in human form. Like he went all in from leaving the throne room of God to being all into our humanity. And he went all in at the cross and he went all into the tomb and he came all out at the resurrection. And I just want to say to us as a church, I believe that there's a resurrection for us. There's going to be a point where the whole life is remade. 
And I just went, don't, let's not quit in the midst of the pain of that. I believe that we can continue to press through. So no wonder Jesus comments or, or, uh, or the way that he commends him with these breathtaking words, you are close to the kingdom of God. I think we can experience a closeness to the kingdom of God even before we get to heaven and even debate like what, how are we going to be similar to the angels? There's something special that's coming. And I believe this passage enables us to understand more fully what Jesus thought his work was all about. So if we want to make sense of the cross, want to make sense of the resurrection, we have to make sense of this passage. Because his overall mission was a challenge to the temple and it was highly confrontational, highly dangerous, and is what got him to the cross in the first place. So his teaching about there being only one God and his teaching about loving neighbors is what got him killed. Have you ever put that together? Like this week, they were plotting to kill him because he was telling them that they should love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that they should love their neighbor as they love themselves. And that is a condemning message. And so N.T. Wright says this, Jesus really did believe that through his kingdom mission, Israel's God would enable people to worship and love him and to love one another in a new way, in the way promised in the prophets, the way that stemmed from renewed hearts and lives. So right now, I agree with that. I agree that you and I today can love people and love God with renewed hearts and renewed minds. That's why we baptize. That's why baptism is important, because it is just a public symbol of the fact that we believe that God can make things new. And so we're just stating in a way that Jesus said, hey, why don't you make your first act of a renewed mind, of a renewed life, of a renewed love, of a a renewed desire to be a good neighbor, of a renewed desire to keep your eyes fixed on God. Just make it a public display of being immersed into a new way of living and coming up out of that immersion as a new person. Because we're not waiting for eternity for that to happen. We can experience it now. Like We are all longing for relationships to be right. We're all longing for there not to be no more lying, cheating, and stealing. We're no lo- we're not, we're, 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 we, we want that, and we know it's coming, but Jesus is saying, I want that for you now. And I believe that we are waiting for something that is available for us now. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we are crippled by our theology. And so Jesus throws a theological statement discussion and says, all right, listen, the simple answer is it's going to be different than you think, but there is resurrection. And he says, oh, and by the way, until we get to that point, let me just make it really simple for you. Love God so that you're obedient to him and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Imagine how many problems in the world right now would be solved if we just did those two things, how many things are happening right now in Baltimore or in the United States of America or across the continents? How many things would stop instantaneously if we were to just do these two things? And 
we can do it. We, it should start here, and it should start in every church. Like close to 2,000 of them in Baltimore are gathering today. Like we have enough to make a change and for things to be different. And so the question then really as we end for, for it to really settle in us is this really challenges the Christian church. Because is the church known for a group of people that love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength? And is the church known for loving neighbors as you love yourself? Like if we were to take time to really think about that and let that really fall on us today, what's our testimony? And I'm not just saying this church. Um, We're talking about other churches. Like it was fun for Summer to mention Grace Kids. Because the last time that she and Emily led worship together was at Grace Church. And now they led here. And so it's just obvious that grace would come off her tongue when you throw out the gavel. It's not like we're changing letters. We're just, you know, it's like, uh, this is confusing. But it's not confusing because there's really only one church. And we are in a situation where we have got to understand that we are not loving and accomplishing the things that God wants for us. So is the church known for grabbing the right things in a crisis? Is Baltimore in crisis? What's the church grabbing right now? Like what really, what are the churches in Baltimore grabbing at right now? It's on fire. And what's important to us is what we're going to. And that's a, that's a heavy mirror to put in front. I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm standing in front of that mirror myself. But are we grabbing life, the people around us, or are we grabbing possessions? Wholehearted love of God and neighbor, are we grabbing that? Or are we in a mad scramble to try to save our own skin or to save our own possessions? It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a great way for us to evaluate the greatest commandment. And I just want to say, I love what Jesus did. He was asked for one and he gave us two. Because the one is fantastic. But if we're going to obey God wholeheartedly, we might as well go ahead and understand what that obedience looks like. That obedience to God means I love the neighbors around me. I can't claim him and be a hater. I can't claim him and judge people. I can't claim him and care less about what's happening to people around me. So I have to love him. And the way I do that obediently is by loving the people around me. So let's take some time this week through our growth communities, through our conversations. Let's just say, okay, God, are, are you on my lips? Like, do I love you with all my heart, my soul, my strength? And am I being obedient to you in the way I act towards other people? It's a great way for us to spend this week leading up to Palm Sunday. Because I will tell you this. Jesus is coming. He's coming. And if we reject him now, what makes you think you're not going to reject him later? Do you really feel that confident? That, oh, I can keep him at a distance in my life right now. And later on, if I see him, then I'll believe. Are you sure that seeing is believing? Is that a Christmas quote? (laughs) I may have just tied in some children's Christmas book. I knew reading Polar Express to my kids would come invaluable in the future. 
which I probably never read them Polar Express. All right, so, all right, so let's pray together. Lord, um, we want to be obedient. Uh, we are grateful that Jesus has made it very clear that he is the rightful king. And if we follow his kingship now and we live in his kingdom now, there are blessings that we can experience now. It's not all for heaven. There's actually an inbreaking of heaven that's already started, and we could be a part of that inbreaking. Lord, give us strength to break it in. Lord, let us not be deceived. Give us eyes to see clearly, even the intent behind things. Lord, let us see it clearly. And let us follow after Jesus with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, we normally take time to move to the Lord's table. And if you did not grab your uh, cup on the way in, Andre's walking around the room. And while he's walking around the room, I just want to invite you to do two things. If you need prayer based upon today's teaching or anything going on in your life, some of our elders and folks from our ministry will be at the stage to pray with you. So please come to them. We'd be happy to pray for you once the gathering is over. But I also want to make this an invitation. The Foundry Church, which is a great church that meets on the south side of the harbor, borrowed our baptism take last week to baptize somebody. St. Mo's Church is picking up our baptism take on Wednesday because they're baptizing next weekend. Can we get a gallery baptism in here? (laughs) Um, So if you are thinking about following the Lord that way, would you let us know? Um, And would you, as a sidebar to that, be inviting your friends to be immersed in this process with us? I would love for us to have a need to use our own equipment. Um, I am grateful that the Foundry and St. Moses had need and they ask. And I'm grateful that they can use it. And I'm grateful that it works for them. Even though the last time the foundry used it, the hose ruptured and the first three pews in their church were dripping wet <laughs> when they walked in on Sunday morning. But the hoses have been replaced and uh, it is now fully functional. But I would love if you are interested in following the Lord in baptism, whether you're watching online or you are here in person, we would love for you to be a part of that. So would you stand with me as we come to, the, to, to this time of taking uh, this remembrance Uh, We're going to start by removing the wafer at the bottom. Would you please do that with me? When Jesus offered this to his disciples the first time, he was offering his body to them. It was going to be broken. It was going to be basically butchered, which they ended up witnessing. Um, But for you and I, as we come to this, we know what he's done, but we also know the hope attached to it in ways that they didn't. So as much as this is a painful reminder of what Jesus went through, this is also an incredible reminder of how much we're loved. Paul, in trying to communicate God's love to the church in Ephesus, said God lavishly loves us. Like, what an adjective. I would love for each one of us to have a testimony of what it feels like to be lavishly loved. But that is in Jesus Christ. So as we break this bread and we offer it to one another... I just want to do this in remembrance of his great love for us. So let's say this out loud to one another. It'll be on the screen for you. But this is his, I think it's coming. Yes, this is his body broken for you. Let's do this in remembrance of him. And then as we carefully remove the cup to expose the juice in here, when Jesus passed this around, he said, my blood's going to be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Guys, that is great news. His blood forgave us of our sins. 
And that needs to be something we remind each other about. But there are a lot of people out there that don't know that their sins are forgiven. We need to let them know that their sins have been forgiven through Jesus Christ. Easter is a great time for us to do that. So let's hold this up and say to one another that um, what's on the screen. This is his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And then let's join into the great tradition of declaring the mystery of our faith, which we are walking in this holy week coming up. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Guys, I thank you so much for being with us. Here's our benediction. Let's just extend a hand. You don't have to always extend them towards me. You can extend them towards each other. If you're highly coordinated, you can put it in multiple directions because we are all around one another and we're getting really close to where we can touch each other again, I hope, in Jesus' name. Um, because there's a... there. Just as the church was commanded to take the Lord's table, there's an equally equal number of commands in Scripture to greet each other with a holy kiss. I don't know if you're aware of that. So there has to be a way for us to show our love as brothers and sisters to one another that the pandemic has robbed us from. Um, But we need to figure out how to discover the personal touch of our faith. But here's our benediction. As we go from here today... May Jesus help straighten out our theological hang-ups so that we can do the most important thing, which is to love him and to love others and realize that that's all accomplishable before he returns. But I am grateful that one day when he returns, we won't have to labor in it anymore. It will be the way that it's supposed to be forever. So may God's grace and peace be with you. Also. Thank you, guys. We're going to put on the slides the Holy Week schedule just in case you want to put that in your phones. But uh, we're looking forward to spending that week with you. And for those of you watching online, thank you. Let us know you were there.